this week, the Rural Roundup is bringing you something a little different. We've spoke to six diversified farm businesses across Scotland, asking them about their journeys, the conversations they had along the way, and the decisions they had to make. This week, we're going to hear the story of Caroline Hamilton from Cairns Farm. The incredible transformation of Cairns Farm from Hill Sheep Farm to a gorgeous destination wedding and events venue is a wonderful success story from fourth generation farmer Graham and his wife Caroline Hamilton. Caroline has three adult children and whilst none of the three were keen to take on the hill farming aspect of the business, all three were incredibly proud of their home and heritage and wanted to ensure the farm's future. The kids worked with Caroline to ensure the farm's future success. Caroline at Cairns Farm started the incredible £1.9 million diversification project in 2017 and weathered many issues with the project through Covid and Brexit, resulting in a gorgeous and unique wedding and events venue. Callum Johnston, one of our FAS advisors and FAS TV producer, sat down with Caroline at her kitchen table to find out all the details. First of all, Caroline, just to kick things off, could you tell us a bit about the farm and how long it has been in your family for? Sure. Cairns Farm, well, my husband Graham is fourth generation. Um, Cairns was bought several different pieces of land by his great-grandfather. Um, so, yeah, he is fourth generation. He is the first of those four generations to try and make a living from actually farming it, which is an interesting concept. And what type of enterprises have you got on the farm? So we're hill sheep. We are sit at 1,200 feet. We'll go to the top of the Pentland Hills. Um, the farmhouse sits at... No, we're 1,200 acres. We sit at 900 feet. We go to the top of the Pentland Hills. Um, I am led to believe in the past they grew potatoes and things like that. I'm not entirely sure how, but they had many men at the time. But we are basically hill sheep blackies, and we have had in the past a few cattle. Brilliant. And what's your own personal background in agriculture? Have you always been from a, a farming background or are you new to it? Um, I studied agriculture. Um, I always wanted to work with animals, with the land. Um, I studied agriculture. Um, I then, that was not yesterday, maybe 40 years ago, I believe. And it was a different place for ladies at that point in agriculture. I went then into um, farm bookkeeping. Um, but I met my husband at Ag College and the rest, as they say, is history. <laughs> Brilliant. So thinking more specifically about diversification, why did you decide to diversify the business? What were your key motivators at the time? Key motivators. Um, I'd be lying if I didn't start with money. Um, profit. Not a dirty word in our house. We'd like that word. Um, succession is another one. Um, we have three children. We have no farmers. We are, well, I'm not quite 60, but my husband is. Um, but I'll be 
following along very soon. So we can't carry on. We couldn't carry on the way we were going. Um, we have three children, all in very different, very different skill sets, and they with a series of, I suppose, unfortunate events. And they then sat us down and said, "Right, guys, we need to work this out. What's going on? What are we going to do?" Um, so I don't know if that was a motivator or or not, or circumstances. I think things just come along and make you stop in your tracks and say, right, we need to do something. And this time we need to do, we need to be serious. Um, not that any other diversification we've done has not been serious, but this was, this is my last big adventure. Um, we really had to, we really have to make this one work or else we're out of here. Mm. And if, if you don't mind me asking, what do your kids do? Are they based on the farm or do they have jobs uh, out, out and about? Elsewhere. So we are just west of Edinburgh and we have our eldest son is a joiner stroke builder and he is um, seven miles down the road in Curry. So that he's very close. Then we have two in London. One is in finance and one is in interior design. So you might get, you know, I know you want to talk about our project, but um, actually a dream team when it comes to trying to build a wedding venue, you've got a builder, a financier, an interior designer. That'll do. Um, so, yeah, and I, and I guess that's also where it, where it, some of the ideas came from. Excellent. I'm, in, I'm intrigued to know, Caroline, why weddings and events why those specifically and not another type of diversification? Good question. I might ask myself that sometimes, but actually, no, that's not true. I think why weddings and events because of our location. I think one of the really important things that we did when we before we started on this journey or when we started on this journey was to sit down and look at what our skill sets are. What have we got? What have we got here? What have we as people got? What can we all bring to the party? And one of the things that we're extremely fortunate about is that we live in a very beautiful place. We live very close to the centre of Edinburgh. If I was to say that the centre of Edinburgh is 15 miles, we're seven miles from the nearest bus, so we're quite remote, but at the same time, seven miles takes you to Belerno and seven miles takes you into the centre of Edinburgh. So location is incredible. Um, we a Location, we have a reservoir at one, one side of the farm and we have the Pentland Hills at the back side of the farm. So I think location, huge, huge, huge. Um, and why that? Because, as I've already said, we needed to be serious um, about doing what we were doing and we needed to go back again we needed to be able to make an income for myself and my husband and we needed that to take us on for the next I don't know how long have I got 20 25 30 years my mother's nearly 90 so I could be here for a while yeah and we needed an income to take us all the way through that's interesting during that process of analyzing your assets and looking at what skill sets you mentioned skill sets that you and your family have got did you get any 
input or support from a third party, like like a consultant or someone who's not as involved as you and the family are? Um, consultants. We had every consultant under the sun um, on the project, perhaps too many. We did get guidance from from some. Sometimes your gut is better than a consultant. You definitely need consultants to tell you about septic tanks and about the you need lawyers to tell you the best way to set things up and you need you need lots of consultants. But actually we've all got a gut and a head and sometimes we just need to engage the gut with a head and go with it. Um we did have one consultant or advisor come from the local council and told us that it would never work and that we would have to we had to go there at that point and spend another thirty thousand on two more consultants and basically said, Well, you can go now because we're not doing that. Um you do have to do your you have to do your sums, but I have spent thirty five years working with figures and bookkeeping, so I was quite good at that. I had my younger son um breathing down my neck, checking every spreadsheet I did. Um he never predicted this situation, this crisis, I have to say. So I'm words to have with him but um yeah the consultants yes we had many consultants i could bore you with the list but um and you do need them but you do have to be careful because they're very expensive and they're not always very smart and i don't mean um i'm not in any way shape or form saying anything to SEC about sec because we did get help from both chris and mj at sec so um, there are consultants that you need and there are consultants that you have to think twice about whether you need them. It's interesting. I'm sure there's many farmers uh, who can probably relate to that. Um, <laughs> but I'm interested, um, Caroline, you know, this this podcast series around the farm table is quite topical because many farming decisions are often made around the farm table. And I'm interested to know, you know, particularly around this topic of succession and bringing the family together, how did you go about structuring a conversation about diversification? I think the children brought it to the table. I think it was always in the back of our mind, but you know what? One never really wants to grasp a nettle, but then you have to. Um... We, my husband and I, both had jobs outside of the farm. We were, we were still, we had a contract farmer. We, he had a job, I had a job. It wasn't really sustainable. We were in an, you know, we were in a, we defaulted into a situation that was not sustainable. And how did we have the conversation? Um, I think what happened, my husband jumped over a fence and broke four ribs. And at that point, the kids said, come on, you guys, you need to, we need to work out what's going on here. Um, and what what are we going to do? We, we did at that point pull in a friend who ran wedding venues and ran um, restaurants and coffee shops for other big landowners. So we we knew him from another part of life so we pulled him in and he said you know what 
I think I might know somebody you should speak to. So, And so this ball started rolling. Um, so a trusted friend came in, gave us some advice. You could call him a consultant. He was one of the least expensive consultants. Um, and, and so a, an idea was born, really. Um, the other thing to say is that we had, so the, where the wedding venue is, we had had quite a few really good parties in that venue with a dirt floor, no sides on the shed, freezing cold, danced the night away, never bothered anybody. So we knew the place worked and we knew people loved coming there. So um, I guess that, and it had always been in the back of our minds, could we do something along these lines? But we'd never really been brave enough to do it. Mm, that's that's interesting. And you mentioned briefly there about, I guess, market research and you know mm-hmm. looking at the market, looking at competitors. What did that market research look like to you uh, and the family? Did you go around Scotland looking at other farm-based weddings and events venues? Did you look online? How did that work? We went online. We looked at what we have in our local in our local area. Um, we are, as I said, very close to Edinburgh, so you get everything from the big hotels in Edinburgh. We had we have two wedding venues quite close to us, both a different offering. So there are lots of different offerings around there, and ours online, stalking other people's wedding venues and looking at what they're doing. And a few, dragging us away from the farm is quite difficult sometimes, but a few visits to other places just to have a wander around, to get a feel of what they're doing. Um, and the research, research was out there that within West Lothian in particular, there was a need for more, more facility, but different facility. Um, you know, we don't need... So we have, close to us, we have Curtin Newton House, an absolutely beautiful building, stone building, offers a very different a, a very different offering. We had Harburn House at, at the other side of us, offering a similar type of thing, but from a marquee. So we kind of have put the two together. Harburn was offering a lot of accommodation. Curtin Newton wasn't, so we offered both. So it's looking at what's out there and looking at what's further afield and talking to talking to people. So you mentioned some local competition, or certainly, you know, there there is competition um, within the Scottish borders, within Edinburgh, you know, within close proximity. Why do you think people are looking for rural weddings and not perhaps in the traditional hotel format, say? Um, I think... They potentially have a blank canvas at Cairns to do and decorate the way they like. I think if they don't want to do too much of that, they have the backdrop and you can't take away, you know, even if it's a revolting day, it's quite beautiful. Um, because we have we have the offering of 24 beds on site, they can have the nearest and dearest right beside them for a long weekend. It's just, it, people don't, I suppose as well, people are not getting married in churches. 
and then traveling to venues, although we have had one or two weddings where they have been married in a church and traveled then to the to the venue. But we have a, we call it a ceremony room. And it is a, it is a strange thing when you walk into that room. It is a room of great significance because significant things are, are done in there. Um, and, and I think that whole, it means that your guests can arrive, the bar is just there, they can have a drink, they can mill around, they can spend a lot of time just being together. Um, and I do think that blank canvas and Instagram photos, it's very photogenic and you just need to go on for Instagram. I've wasted too many days of my life looking at what people are looking at on Instagram to see what they're looking for and we can offer it. We So much so as we even have some Highland cattle now who are not ours, we don't own them, somebody else owns them. But every day we have a wedding, my husband brings them from wherever they are to the field around the venue because of Instagram, because people want to. And it's lovely. It is lovely. Caroline, for, you know, those listening to this podcast, could you just, I guess, walk us through the venue? What does it look like? What are the first impressions? Um, You know, wind the clock back to when you were first developing the venue and and give us an idea of, of the transformation to where it is today. Okay, um, I'm going to take you back possibly to approaching on the main road. So if you're driving out from Edinburgh, you come up over the Ochinoon Hill, come up over the hill and then you see down on your left-hand side the reservoir and the hills behind. It's quite spectacular vision. And nestled in a corner down in there, which you can't really see during the daytime, you can see at night because of the lights, but during the daytime you can't really see is the venue and so you drive down on the A70 you slip off the A70 at a bad corner and you drive down to Harper Reservoir and if you want you can there are people swimming in it paddleboarding it it's just quite a peaceful place you go over the embankment round the corner and the farmhouse is there um, I'm big into my trees and my garden and trying to get it to landscape to be kind um, so it's very green, it's it's kept, but it's not a stately home kept, so that gives me a scope for a few leaves and things lying around. But you come up the come up the farm track, by now you're off tarmac, you're on a track, but I have to say it's a pretty good track, and into the car into the car park at the venue. And the pen you get out your car and there now the reservoir is behind you and the Pentland Hills are in front of you and the fields, the land all around the sheep, well, I'm going to call it a sheep shed, the venue, are, you know, improved grassland, so it's not rushes, it's not it's not wild. That happens a wee bit further away. Um, you're met with um, sheep shed, two sheep sheds. Originally, they were sheep sheds. Um, we lambed in them, we calved in them, we handled sheep in them, um, metal portal frame, not traditional, you know, not your old-fashioned lovely stone buildings. They were metal frame, um, I can't remember the word, but you know what I mean, metal frame clad, utility sheep sheds. The entrance to the venue is a recycled 
um, grain silo. Um, the, I have to say the, the day that the architect said, that's how I want to make the entrance, everybody looked at him and said, you've really gone nuts this time, Chris. But anyway, we did find locally a, a, grain, cycle, a, a grain silo that somebody didn't want, dismantled it and have rebuilt it. Um, so you enter through a corrugated recycled grain silo, which sounds ghastly, but by the time you come in, the inside has been insulated. It's got fresh, clean corrugated tin on it, fairy lights everywhere, old stable cobbles on the floor. Then there's a glass connector to take you from that silo, which would never have been connected to a building anyway, into the main building. And that's your entrance area. In there, on the left-hand side, we had we have recycled old stable partitions. So one of the other buildings on the farm had old stables. We kept them. We kept them for about 25 years, not knowing what we were going to do with them, and then said, this is the place. All the timber in this building, I haven't really said as well, all the timber in this building is taken from, all the feature timber has been taken from trees that have been felled on the farm, felled, milled, dried, and then installed in the farm. So there's a lot of Scots pine. The, the, the wall, if you like, the ceremony room wall is not a wall as such. It is these old stable partitions with hessian above it, which is meant to look like wool sacks. You open the double doors into the ceremony room so the bride can make a grand entrance. And the floor in here and in the rest of the building is polished concrete. There are large, large picture windows. The, into the ceremony room, there are um, church pews. So they were, they actually belonged to the, to the company who, who run the weddings for us. And they were, they, we opened a container when they were in them and they had that old churchy smell and they were that dark wood. So we had them sandblasted and waxed and they're absolutely beautiful. The pews, which bring the church bit of it into the room, but in a different kind of way. And the wall on the left-hand side has got a few very small, different-shaped windows in it, which is filled with fused glass made by a local glass artist. So that's your ceremony room. When you come in on the cobbled area, there's a wood-burning stove, which is three-sided. And in behind that is a little snug area that you can sit if you're fed up with the noise or the you want to go and speak to your granny, that's a great place to go and do it. The fire will be on in the winter. And then the toilets are in round the side. They're part, they're, um, kind of blocked off with, again, lots of timber. Behind that snug seating area, there's what we call the dry stone wooden wall, which was built from wood offcuts from the whole project. And in front of that, there's a great big um, woolen wall, so a wool of a wall of wool, what do you call them, skins, stitched together skins. Then into the party room, out of all of that entrance area, into the party room, which actually, even now when I walk in there, I kind of stop because the view that you get from all of the great big picture windows is different all of the time. I've forgotten to say as well, there's a, we call a great wall in there. So there's a stone wall 
that sheep shed was surrounded by a dry stone dike originally because that location was once the walled garden. And when I say walled garden, I don't mean it was one of those beautiful um, stately home walled gardens. It was an area away from the far farmhouse that had a dry stone dike around it that my late father-in-law used to try and grow some potatoes in. But that dry stone wall was used around the, the shed when we built it 35 years ago. That same dry stone wall is now the wall that divides the ceremony room and the party room. So there's a lot of natural grounding things from the farm within the space. The party room itself is, as I say, um, quite simple. The tables are all made from Scots pine that was felled on the farm. There's a bar to the right-hand side, which has a high amount of corten steel on it, so it looks quite agricultural. Um, but the bar top is made from sycamore, from the tree that used to stand where the silo now sits. We have an enormous dance floor, although I don't know if a dance floor can ever be really big enough. And then there are bifold doors that go out onto a patio. And again, you go out there and you could just breathe in the space and the hills. Um, I don't know if I've given you a picture of that or not. Yeah, it's a, it's um, a wonderful um, picture. I actually remember uh, coming down to visit about a year ago and mm -hmm. it's a beautiful um, location even on a wet day as you said Caroline mm -hmm. even on a wet mm -hmm. day the, the views are incredible it's really homely uh, it's lovely and rustic and it's it's a, a beautiful place to to host a wedding um, I just wonder Caroline in terms of the the timeline that this all mm. happened so when did you initially have conversations about converting the sheep shed into what now is beautiful venue and, and when did that evolve into getting you know getting construction in to then hosting your first wedding 2017 was deed was the point at which we decided january 31st of january 2017 if you want to be specific right guys we need to do something about this 21st of may 2020 2020? 2021. I've lost some years like everybody else has, but 20, 21st of May 2021, we delivered the first wedding. That was last year, yeah, that's right. Um, so, January 2017, we began construction 2018. And I say begin construction, there were a lot of there were a lot of tidying up to do. So once the decision was made to do it, we then actually employed somebody for a couple of years on the farm who who basically tidied, took stuff to the scrapyard, built constructed roads, dug ditches, dug, dug oh, he had two diggers, they hardly stopped. So yeah. We didn't get a construction company in. My husband and the digger driver and then our eldest son came on site and project managed the whole thing. Um, I would say after the decision was made that we were going to try and go for planning in 2017, that's when it all, that's when it started. And I don't, we're not finished yet. 
we might do the delivering weddings, but this is just the beginning of a very long adventure. Mm. Imagine, for example's sake, if I'm mm. a potential customer, if I'm mm-hmm. looking to book my wedding, how does it work in practice? What would I get as part of the package? Okay, so I'll go back to skill set right there because neither none of our family are um, wedding planners or event managers or, you know, I can throw a good party, but I can't throw a wedding for somebody. Um, so that was one of the most important things was that we recognised that we actually were not in a position to start marketing, promoting, selling, delivering weddings at all. Our job was to create the space and we then were introduced to a company called Hickory Foods and they do all of that. So any wedding that comes to Cairns comes through them. They are exclusively they are exclusively our event managers at Cairns. And I think that was really important at the beginning because while we were still guddling around in the mud, they were selling. Um, we couldn't have done that. And what was really also important was that at the point of now we're finished, we needed to have weddings to deliver. And if you take the lead time for a wedding, it could be 18 months. How could we possibly be building, selling, in, in preparation to then deliver? I mean, our wee friend COVID came along in the middle of all of that. Um, timing was um, not great. We were three months from completion when COVID hit. So I think on the, I think the date was the 23rd of March. I think we had 19, I'll say men on site, people on site, not men, sorry, because we had some ladies there too. Um, We had 19 people on site and the next day we had three. And that was it. And we then managed that core um, for the next year and 15 months until we were open or allowed to open and it was a hugely hugely stressful um decisions had to be made because people had weddings booked our first wedding was meant to have happened in june 2020 and by the time we delivered the first wedding in 2021 we had 30 weddings that were a constant movable feast they were just being rescheduled. That takes a lot of effort. Um, and that's why we had an events company. That's what they did. And they did it extremely well. We lost one or two of them. But really, to hold on to 30 weddings through a pandemic um, was quite phenomenal. Yeah. And, and do you think that relationship is important. You, you mentioned there that actually identifying your own skill sets and identifying the fact mm-hmm. that, you know, this is not our 40. Do you think that's important mm-hmm. for farmers that are looking to diversify, to, to know, almost know their limitations? Absolutely. Because if you, if we had tried to do it, we'd have just gotten a right old mess. Um, absolutely got to look at your limit you but the other thing is you actually also have to push yourself i've never done that before but you know what i'll give it a go but i'll ask the right people to help me i'll ask my friends i'll ask these people i'll ask around 
Um, we've never built a wedding venue before, but we had a trusted team. So we had an architect that we got on very well with. We had our own children who all have their own ideas. Um, and they also have their own skill set. So you have to look at that as well. It's not this one just Graham and me. So yeah, that skill set and that um and really analysing what you can and can't do. And what you do and don't like do. I I most certainly wouldn't say that every job I had to do I like doing, but I don't know that that's you know, that's probably true of everybody's life. Um I there are many moments when I would be stamping my feet saying I was bored and sick, fed up of sitting in the office pushing paper when I really wanted to be outside doing something or constructing something or making something look lovely um, other than fighting with paper in the office. But you just have to do what you can do and in the end of the day, go for a walk, sitting down and look at what you're beginning to, what you're achieving, yeah. Being part of someone's wedding someone's big day or you know a special occasion must be really personally rewarding for you and and the family what would you say are the best bits about running a weddings and events venue there are several bits one is really interesting is that my off the farm office is down by the farmhouse and when wedding guests arrive on a friday and I'm in the office, if I don't hear a great gaggle of laughter and hilarity and people running and excited and, um, yeah, just that gaggle of laughter, then on a Saturday, I often am in, also in the office on a Saturday, and when there, there's a little golf buggy that comes down from the venue to the farmhouse and it takes everybody up, and see when that golf buggy goes by, the hilarity in there is is tangible that special um going on a sunday morning we always give the couple a card and going in on the sunday morning and i'm saying they've just had the best fun and had the best time that makes it all worthwhile um and i think it's that being able to share to share your space with people to bring people together um, to, yeah, it's quite special. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure it is. And I'm sure you've got many funny stories from hosting weddings at the farm, perhaps some we can't share on this podcast. <laughs> perhaps there are quite a few. I would <laughs> not be able to want to say on these airways, yes. <laughs> are, there, are there any stories or any examples which stand out to you and are are memorable for for good reasons. One this summer, and um, I came down to the farm. It was a, a wedding on a Wednesday, and on the Thursday morning, there were two girls got married on the Wednesday, and on the Thursday morning, they went on their paddle boards in their wedding dresses on Harper Rig. It was like looking at a couple of swans. On Harper Rig, it was absolutely stunning. I've never seen anything like it. There they were. There, the weather, the, the water in the reservoir was quite low. Um, they didn't fall in. I'm glad to say they trashed their wedding dresses, but 
they had been married on the Wednesday, they'd had a lovely day, the weather had been beautiful, and the next day they off they went on to Harper Road. Absolutely, I mean, special. Yeah, special. And, you know, I think walking in to... We know quite a lot of people who've been married there. We've attended a few weddings there as well. Our architect's daughter got married there. Um, the girl who was our babysitter for our children growing up got married there. Um, our own son got married there in the summer. Walking into that venue and seeing people dressed up, happy, smiling, and then seeing a bride walking across the room, it's just like, what is going on here? This is this is what have we done? <laughs> um, but just that, I think that just seeing people together happy um, makes all that COVID build um, building and everything else worthwhile. Now, I guess the purpose of this podcast series around the farm table is to encourage farmers and crofters to look at their farm and consider mm-hmm. diversification. So, Caroline, from your experience, what advice would you give to those who may be thinking about diversifying but perhaps don't really know where to start? Where to start? Do you know where to start? Get a hold of yourself if you're a lady. Get a hold of yourself with the women in agriculture movement. Get a hold of yourself with agritourism. Get on to go rural. Get on to, you don't have to be a woman to go on to go rural, men. If you really, that is the place to go. Go and speak to somebody who's done it. Yes, go to a consultant and ask this or that. But please go and speak to people who've done it. I wish that we did try to reach out to one or two people, but we didn't get a lot of feedback. I would be delighted to sit and have coffee or lunch with somebody who had an idea or and just say, just talk them through. Um, the people who've done it are the people who can help you the most. Somebody, I recently read a thing about um, competition and how actually, it's a little bit like that saying about your keep your friends close and your enemies closer. The same could be said for competition. Competition is good. There's nothing wrong with competition. Now, if somebody was to open a similar wedding venue two miles down the road I might not be very pleased but I'd have to up my game if I wanted the bookings so look at what's out there try to do something different go and speak to people go and visit and I think take your time don't hurry Um, and most definitely go to go rural agritourism go to yourselves go to people who attend meetings you know attend meetings attend visit places um all of these wonderful things and all of these wonderful people that you see out there doing things they're all a bit like me they're all a bit like well I'll call myself a swan or a duck I don't know but I duck possibly my feet are going like hell underneath the water what you what you see and what's going on are two very different things. So go and find somebody who can show you how to paddle your feet. Because you can be graceful, but you need to paddle hard. Um, that's what I would say. And finally, 
Caroline, what's next for Cairns Farm Estate? Well, um, what we say is we've created the monster. The monster continually needs to be fed. And what is next? First thing that's next is hold on tight because this financial crisis is causing us a lot of distress. Um, when we started on this adventure, we could get nobody to back us financially. And they said, oh, come back when you've got a year or come back when you've got 18 months or come back. And so we're going back and they're going, nah, we still don't want to back you. Come back when you've got three years of account. What you mean, come back when, when we don't need you any longer. Finance is a hugely difficult issue. Um, but hold on tight. That's what the first job is. But we have actually opened probably the doors of so many different things that could be done in the future. Um, having created this and having seen what we can do, the one thing that is for sure is that diversification is going to be essential for farmers going farming going forward, or for certainly for our type of farm, smaller. Um, you know, I think we're sitting at the moment with twenty twenty, you know, two thousand figures and costs spiraling. So it's not it's not getting any easier. What's our support going to be for, um, agriculturally? One of the other reasons we did this is that we need to wean ourselves off that support. Um, we need to continue to farm up Cairns, but it doesn't need to necessarily be us, but whoever's that is going to need the support so we can have that support, financial support. That's why we've done this, so that we have our own independent finance, financial support. Um I think for Cairns going for I, non-specific, to be honest, I think we're still recovering, um, recovering from COVID, recovering from the build, recovering from opening, recovering from the f what we have to get used to delivering weddings every weekend. It's it's um, it's a serious adjustment of our lives because where before. No matter if you left it in a mess, you can't leave it in a mess now. Caroline, go and get that tidied up. So, yeah. Um, and where are we going? don't know. Watch the space. We've got lots of ideas. Sadly, I'm quite an ideas person. I quite like looking and seeing what I can, seeing what other people are doing. That's the next bit I'm going to do. Go and see what everybody else is doing. And then see what I can adjust to make, to care to work at Cairns. But see what people are wanting. You know, it's all very well looking at your farm and your skills and everything else. What do the people out there want? Well, it's perfectly clear to me living on the edge of a out of a reservoir that people want to get outside. They want to swim. They want to paddleboard. They might annoy us a lot, but you know what? You've got to look at it from the other side. The glass is half full. They're coming out here. Let's get some, Let's get another wee thing from them, um, which is where I'm going with the agritourism there's a lot more that we can do on that front. Um, we've started, and as I say, a mastermind, and we'll just finish, yeah. Brilliant. And just to round up, 
thank you so much for, for taking the time to talk to us today and getting up very early in the morning to be with us. Um, Cairns <laughs> Farm Estate is an amazing business. It's great thank to you. see how you're adding value to the farm. You're welcoming people to experience not only their wedding, but just to experience the great outdoors. So thank you for sharing your story and giving us a fascinating insight into your life and aspirations. Into my shambles, <laughs> into my into my brain. That's really quite scary for you all. But anyway, thank you for thank you for having us. And I and I, you know, I do really, really mean that whole come and speak, go and speak to people. Come and speak to me. Um I know I'm in Canada at the moment, my old mother, but um come and speak to us. I'll be home. Or go and speak to somebody down the road. Don't be scared of, don't be scared of asking silly questions. Don't be scared of any of that, because no question is a silly question if you didn't get the answer, um, and you can't know all the answers for sure. If you would like to follow Cairns Farm Estate and find out what Caroline is getting up to next. You can follow them on social media or check out their website and you can do so by looking at the show notes below. And advice is available if you are a farmer or a crofter looking at diversification. You can visit the FAS website www.fast.scot and look specifically for the ILMP programme where there's a variety of specialist advice from consultants who can help you on your way. Thanks so much for listening to this bonus episode of the Rural Roundup. You can find out more about the businesses and the people featured through the links in the show notes. If you enjoyed this story, please share it with others that you think would enjoy it. And don't forget to subscribe to the channel to get our regular fortnightly episodes as soon as they're released. The Farm Advisory Service Podcast. Audio advice on livestock, crops and soils, environment, rural business and more. Brought to you in association with the Scottish Government.